Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm in this world and they may be Welcome back to 32 Fans. I'm Alex Chester. With me, as always, is Wheels Wienerker. And returning for the second week in a row, off Sinensky. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Wheels. How's it rolling? It's going to right. I feel like this is really. I do. I do really wish I could stay up 24 hours a day during football season, and then I would just hibernate the whole month of February. Because I just I feel a little bored, a little empty inside until the college basketball conference tournaments start. Like if we could just stay up 24 hours a day during football, I could like watch a lot of game tape and really come up with some great stats and and like there's no reason to be awake yeah but i mean if you slept the whole month of february you would miss the oscars yeah that's fine (laughs) that's quite okay (laughs) well this podcast is about the oscars so we have to pretend that we're interested movies are okay the oscars are are, are trash okay all right so off welcome back uh let's let's jump right back in where we left off last week we're into your top 20 number 20 is the tale uh i don't think we're going to talk about that but let's talk about number 19 first reformed uh, yeah, so First Reformed is a movie starring Ethan Hawke. It was directed by Paul Schrader, uh, most famous for Taxi Driver. He wrote the screenplay to that. Um, in First Reformed, Ethan Hawke plays a pastor at a parish in upstate New York. Uh, the movie is at first very focused on just his day-to-day life operating this little church. Um, shows him just like being involved in basic maintenance and repairs of the church. He's also very involved in his own self-maintenance of his body. They, they show a lot of scenes of him just like in the bathroom trying to deal with his own illnesses and what, whatever it is that he has going on. Um, and he's a very, you know, outgoing pastor. He gets very involved in the lives of his congregants and getting to know them. And in the course of the movie, he's he's starting to, I wouldn't say lose faith because I think he always retains his faith, but he starts to be maybe angry at God and try to understand why is God letting suffering going on in this world. And the fact that like he's his strong belief in God kind of makes it even worse because he's seeing God as being an enabler in human suffering and doesn't doesn't know what to make of that. And he he has an interaction with one specific congregate that leads him to adopt a more radical approach to environmentalism kind of takes that on as his own religion, the, you know, the, the path of climate change and being becoming a big supporter of, you know, what we have to do to prevent it. And it's, it's a very unique film. It's very quiet in certain ways, just really focused on this one person and his 
it's very like self-reflective and introspective and, you know, really delves deep into this person and what's he thinking about. And I just found it very powerful. Uh, I could certainly see if, if some people found this to be a little too slow and just didn't really get into it, but I was very affected by it. Um, Akiva, what do you think about it? I, I really didn't like it. I thought it was slow. It was boring. Um, I, 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 the guy who directed it is, what's his name, Paul Schrader? Yeah. He's like a little bit of a crazy guy. Uh, he directed the the Lindsay Lohan like comeback movie, if you remember. Um, and like there was a whole New York Times magazine article, and like if you just read that article, you thought like, oh, they're gonna like win all these Oscars for this like like porn with Lindsay Lohan. Um, so I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, it just didn't do anything. I, for I me. mean, look, it, it was it, it was way too slow. Really I agree with slow. Keith about that, but uh, without spoiling anything. Mm-hmm. Av, did you like the ending? Because I thought the ending was ridiculous. Uh, I, I didn't really know what to make of the ending at first. I ended up reading a lot about it, and it started to work a little bit better for me. But it was still extremely unusual. I guess there's, you know, with, again, without spoiling it, there are multiple ways to interpret whether it's literal or metaphorical or what exactly is happening there, uh, which led to some, you know, interesting things to think about. But I, you know, I do think that it is it is a, a reasonable criticism of the movie to say, well, you know, I shouldn't have to go read six articles to understand what the ending was all about. You know, one of the reasons, this is one of my least favorite movie years ever of, uh, and I'll get to that when we when we talk about my top ten list at the end, but uh, we, we talked a lot last year about A24 and how they're sort of like buying and, and making like all these incredible movies, and last year they had movies that we, that we love, like Lady Bird and The Florida Project and the uh, the Room movie and Menasha, which which was you know maybe movie a little bit more for us that we loved, and basically every year they've had like uh, you know like ten amazing movies, and uh, to me the, the the lack of quality for for this year and First Reformed is an A twenty four movie shows for the most part other than maybe one or two movies with they first of all they had less than normal I think mid nineties wasn't great a lot of the movies they probably thought would be great like uh, the last movie star with Burt Reynolds and and stuff like that, like, ended up sort of being bad. Um, and now they make, like, a lot more horror movies, which maybe interest, like, make them money because they're cheap to make, and, and you could make, like, $20 million on a cheap horror movie is, is all profit. But to me, it was that the, the softness of the year for A24 was really the uh, main reason why, why I thought it stunk. And to me, if I didn't know this was, like, a artsy A24 movie, I would have saw it, I would have been like, oh, this has, like, a 5.2 probably on IMDb, and... Nobody cared about it. I didn't realize like this is in a lot of top ten lists till after I saw it. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I would I would disagree, you know, in general and specifically about a twenty four. I don't know necessarily that this was their best year, but they did have some very good movies this year. Obviously, I liked First Reformed a lot more than you did. Um, I know I also liked mid nineties more than you did. We talked about Hereditary, which was an A twenty four movie that was extremely successful, one of the highest grossing movies of you know from an independent studio this year. And then there's another A twenty four movie that is uh, still to come on my list that we'll talk about. Yeah, a and by later. the way, Lean so, on Pete, which I don't think you saw, and is outside my top ten. I did not, but I, I actually that also, actually really liked it. Yeah, so that also got really good. So there you go. There's you know five movies. Yeah, but from last year there was like year. the best five movies were from that. Well, you know, that's all subjective. You know, these are these are five movies that were very well regarded this year, whether or not, you know, you specifically loved all of them or I specifically loved all of them. I, you know, I wouldn't say the five movies that were f- very well regarded this year. I think that's a pretty solid year. Maybe not their best year, but um, again, I guess we'll just... I do uh, say I will, like, once every, like, three months, I'll go to their YouTube page and I'll see what they have coming up and, it, like, you get excited. But then, like, the you know, these movies sometimes 
don't come out till yeah they have a they have a movie coming out next year from uh claire denise i don't know if that's how you pronounce her last name she's french i think it's her first uh english language movie that people are very excited about Mm -hmm. the film focuses on a group of criminals who are tricked into believing they will be freed if they participate in a mission to travel on a spaceship towards a black hole all right sounds weird yeah uh, what were you saying chester all right, so let's let's keep moving on this list. Number eighteen is Thunder Road. Uh, number seventeen is Bad Times at the El Royale, which I started, uh, did not finish, but I, I will give it another try. It looked like it had some promise, but uh, I wasn't in the right frame of mind when I was watching it. Number sixteen is Tag, a uh, very sort of uh, fun, unserious comedy. So, Av, why is Tag so high up on your list? Uh, Tag was very personal to me. Uh, first of all, I just thought it was hilarious. I thought it was you know straight up the funniest movie this year that just made me laugh the most it was just lots of absurdity in it that i really enjoyed um in terms of having it so high i it was it really resonated with me personally um being about this like group of friends that has this thing that oh they do over a long period of time which you know for those who don't know it's basically they are every i think it's every may or every june they play a game of tag where you know anything goes whoever's it has has to try to tag people and just that idea of a group of friends with like ongoing shtick and thing running jokes and things that just go over a long period of time is was deeply relevant to me as someone who is part of a group of friends like that um you know same types of things you know things that like every time you get together the same jokes are made the same running gags are going on and i just really saw a lot of myself and some of my friends in this movie and i just found that extremely who who are you you in the group if if that's true are you like the hannibal burris I'll, t- I'll tell you that uh, that Chester is the guy at the bar who always is around, but they won't let me part of the yeah, group. Yeah, he's not actually in the group, that's for sure. <laughs> which is, again, something they nailed because, like, every group yes. has the And by the, the way, guy Chester... Wait, wait, off. I don't even know Chester which group you're talking up. about well, that you've outed me so. from. Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm, you know, I'm more on the track. Like, uh, Chester I mean, also thinks he's in the, the Chester group. Part, the Chester part was a joke. Uh, the Chester no, part was a joke, or is it not a joke? <laughs> we'll, we'll never know. But this, they, I think they really nailed the dynamic of a lot of those things for for anyone who is in such a group mm-hmm. um there was just a lot of the stuff that really rung as true to me and just really worked for me no i love it uh, my wife was crying on the floor during this movie she I, like she loves slaps of comedy so she couldn't have loved this anymore uh i actually i and i felt slight attachment to the movie because i read this article the day it came out in the wall street journal and i forgot about it for years um so it is funny that um uh, what's it called? That sort of just popped up and became a hit movie. I, I love the fact that like it's it's very realistic. Like even though it's a crazy slapstick, insane movie, and the set pieces are more elaborate than what actually happened. Like so much of what actually the crazy things that happen in the movie are things that really happened in real life. Uh, yeah, I thought I thought it worked really well. Um, and like some of that, even some of like the you know ridiculousness get works because of you know, it, the movie's framed as you know telling a story to a reporter in which it makes sense that you know stories would be exaggerated and embellished for effect. And the the whole thing just worked really well for me. I enjoyed the hell out of it. And also, it was more like movie stars in a comedy than like it wasn't like you know there was no Will Ferrell in there or any, anything like that. There was no Will Ferrell. Yeah, I, there were other. I never, I never liked Jeremy Renner in movies yeah. for some reason. There's something about him. But he's that playing the bad I, guy. I You're not really annoying. supposed to like him. Yeah, I mean, not really a bad guy per se. I mean, I saw, I saw Game Night on my flight uh, mm-hmm. yesterday, and I actually, 
I like that uh, more mm. than Tag. I see Av, you know, Av had them ranked within five spots of each other. I thought that was a, a better version of the same movie. And they had a lot of the same tropes, like the same sort of the type of character, like, you know, even like the Irish girlfriend yeah, no, they're definitely kind of plays totally like the dissimilar. reporter. And, uh, but it's still a bad take. I think Tag is definitely a better movie than Game Night. All right. Okay. Uh, number 15, Av has If Beale Street Could Talk. Um, I have not seen that. No, Akiva, have you? Okay, so there's not. We can't say too much about it now. Number fourteen is "Won't You Be My Neighbor," um, which is the documentary about Mister Rogers. Mm-hmm. Let me just ask you guys a question. Growing up, were you? And when I say growing up, I mean like when you were three or four. Now Akiva famously has no memories until he was eight, so he doesn't have an answer to this. But Av, were you like a Sesame Street kid or a Mister Rogers kid? Because you had to be no, one or the other. Uh, I was. I, I was. You both. watched both back to back. They were on back to back, Jester. No, everybody watched both back to back, but you know, everybody watched Friends and Seinfeld back to back. But you were a groupie okay. for one yeah, well, or the other. That's a fair. That's I mean, <laughs> yeah, because I was Mister Rogers all the way. Yeah, I, I think I was probably more on the Mister Rogers side. Mm-hmm. I liked both a lot. Um, you know, the the land of make believe I thought was always just really clever yeah. and always wanted. To I was spend like more a little scared there. of it when I was like a baby, and I I was a Sesame Street stan, uh, but I watched Mister Rogers. Yeah, you know what my problem with this movie is, which is not in my top ten. Um, I feel like the 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 floor for this movie is as high as like any floor you could ever be because all you have to do is like tell eight great Mr. Rogers stories. Half this stuff is already on YouTube. Like I'm not even sure how much a big Mr. Rogers fan is going to learn from this documentary. You know the famous Senate scene people have seen it. It's been viral uh, before. I mean there's crazy stories about Mr. Rogers that I've read that like aren't even in the movie that are probably crazier. But also make him well, like, Keith. Look, you made that you made that criticism of three identical strangers also, and you said, and I think you could well, make that argument for a lot of documentaries that it's the story itself. It's also not yeah. as well known of a story to me. That gets if yeah. But what 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 I'm saying is, you said about both movies that it's the story itself more than the the documentary, like as a yeah. film. But you know that's sort of the but it's still the idea that this person made this documentary. I mean, nobody else made a movie about Mister Rogers. That anybody could have right? made a movie so. ninety. Like I, I think. How about well, this? Anybody, anybody could have made a, a square festival, that's in no. orange, but only Mark Rothko did, no, right? This, I if mean, there was a fire festival. If this was like a fire festival thing where like ten people made the same documentary, this certainly would not have been the best of the ten. I can assure you, it wasn't structured right. Like this might have been the fifth out of the ten, uh, of the ten best. Like that's how mediocre it was, considering the incredible subject matter. Now it was still a really good movie that I highly recommend, but uh, to me, like they didn't they didn't do anything spectacular that. You know, this was like a 30 for 30 level movie that just has an amazing subject. So I I thought it was really well done. It was very powerful for me. Uh, I'm not going to grade it against a hypothetical other movie. That <laughs> no, you must grade it against <laughs> the 10 movies that never happened. Um, I thought it, I just thought it was really well done. Uh, made a, ver- a very strong case for, you know, just like the need for compassion and kindness in our day to day lives. That sounds lame. It's just, you know. It's a really, it's a really good change of pace from you know all the movies and all you know the world on Twitter and all of that to just kind of be reminded of the capacity for good that some people have, and you know they spend a good amount of time trying to like delve into to Fred Rogers and kind of figure out what's his deal because you know at the end of the day you know it's there's something just like off-putting about someone that's that nice just because most people aren't and they're just like want to kind of figure out like so what's his deal and you know ultimately they come back with you know dennis green mr rogers was who we thought he was and he's just this amazing too good to and he be was true, off the one of a kind person and it's just you know it's just amazing to see on screen you know there's just some really really powerful scenes in that movie uh, in particular you know there was the one with the uh where he invites the the black guy to go in the pool with him because people were you know scared of getting diseases from black people mm-hmm. 
in, in swimming. And the congressional testimony also, which is famous, yeah. but you know, yeah, is just, one of the highlights just, for sure. It's just incredible to see. It's just to see someone who was just like such a passionate arguer, arguer in favor of just treating other people nicely to be given such a spotlight. Yeah, I had this in my top 10. Right before we started recording, I, I redid my list quickly. I moved it out of the top 10, but I think Av has convinced me it deserves to go back higher. Uh, since I saw this movie, I've started showing my kids Mr. Rogers, and it's so much better than all the other shit that they normally watch. Like, my son has been saying, like, really profound things to me in the last few days. He said, like, you know, Mr. Rogers has a friend that can't see, and so he reads with books with, with dots on them to help him see. Or he told us, you know, Mr. Rogers has a friend who doesn't have any legs, and so he sits in a special chair with wheels. And, like, my kids have been saying these things that are, like, really sort of emotional and open and and i've just thought that you know mr rogers is somebody who has a very good influence on kids even today when the show is so not of this time it's quiet and slow and deliberative so if you have kids i would start showing them mr rogers on youtube instead of you know pj mask or the other crappy shows that my kids used to watch and that you know akiva and rob did a podcast about Mm. uh that's that's my recommendation uh, 13 is free solo yeah, did you guys see Free Solo? No, Chester told me to see it, I th- or somebody told me to see it. Free, this so- week and I didn't Free see Solo it. is astounding. Um, if I would say at this point, if there is, if you have the opportunity to go see one movie in theater, and I, I believe it is still out, then the movie you should see in theaters is Free Solo. Um, if it's available to see it in IMAX, you should see it in IMAX. The first of all, it's so just to you know recap the. It's about this guy named Alex Honnold, I believe is how you pronounce his name, and it's basically just a, a, a profile of him and showing his attempt to climb this 3,000-foot-tall mountain in Yosemite called El Capitan. And, oh, by the way, he does this without any ropes or any sort of protection that, to prevent him from falling to his death at every second. And there is no movie I've ever seen that is as scary as this movie. Yeah, it's, I think that's why I didn't uh, watch it, because even though I know he lives... I just don't uh, – I would have just been nervous the whole time that he was going to fall. Yeah, I mean you, you re- it really does fill you with anxiety at every mm-hmm. second because uh, even like the, the scariest horror movies mm-hmm. have points where just like people are like talking and yeah. not doing scary things. Mm-hmm. But like you are, you are just kept in a box for 90 minutes or however long this movie is of, oh my god – this guy is about Are you just to die. watching him? Like the, the whole is thing dying? is him climbing. Like there isn't a lot of. Um, no, it's heads. it's a mix of it's a mix of watching him climb and explain him explaining how he's doing things, and then just like interviews with him where they try to really get at the heart of you know what's your deal, what makes you tick, why are you doing this. Um, it shows him talking. He has a girlfriend who is you know terrified at the prospect that any day she's going to hear that he fell off a mountain and died, and. They, do, they also do a lot of discussion of the filmmakers themselves reckoning with the idea of making this type of movie where it's hard to quantify to what extent are we potentially encouraging slash causing him to do something that is even more and more and more dangerous than he would otherwise do. And what, you know, do we have any complicity if, you know, this guy just falls to his death tomorrow? Um, it's just it's really interesting. It's really powerful. Um you just you get to you get to really get inside the head of a person who is just like not like anyone you know and understand what is driving him. Um, not to you know be too spoilery, but you know the whole movie you're you're going through and you're just like, what is the deal with this guy? It's almost like there's a piece of his brain that's missing that makes him not comprehend fear. And then at a certain point in the middle of the movie, they they do an MRI of him and they're like, oh, by the way, literally there's a part of your brain that's missing that makes you not you know, interpret fear the way normal people do. There's just, you know, there's this thing in your amygdala that's just not processing fear at nearly the, le- the sensitivity level that most people do. 
Um, it's just it's just really cool to see um, the the shots of him climbing and just you see the vastness of this mountain and the you know the forest and the trees and the sky. It's just incredible to watch um, and just a really really incredible movie. I think it's basically a uh, the front runner to win best documentary. I think it's won at basically every award. It's in my opinion the best documentary of this year. Uh, slightly edging out won't you be my neighbor on my list and uh, I just if if again if there's a movie if you have time to see one movie in theaters this should be the one. Um, yeah, the next movie is Private... Well, that's quite an endorsement. Yeah, a good endorsement. Uh, Private Life is 12. Private Life is actually already on Netflix. Uh, I didn't watch it, even though I knew it was near it's, the top of your list. I think it I think it originated on Netflix. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I did not know that. It, uh, I, okay, okay. I mean, maybe it, like, made... Well, and it's still the there theaters. off. It wasn't... It certainly wasn't, <laughs> I mean, like, it, 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 pro- it may have done, you know, a, you know, a three-day release right, in right, theaters right. That, they, that they do so that they qualify for awards. Right, I mean, this was not the type of movie that was going to make any money to begin with. Um... Uh, yeah, it's a very it's a very small movie. Yeah. Um, so I I have a list of actors who I hate so much that I really won't see anything they're in unless it's extra, you know there's extraordinary circumstances. And number one on that list was always well. So Kevin, Kevin Spacey Kevin, was on that list correct, for you until correct. last year, right? On my list. Now you're I a have like a very sixth sense for creeps. Yeah. Um, uh, Fred Armisen is on that list. I detest him. Uh, and he so he was who, me too. Who from this movie is on. He was Me too a million years ago. Now, Paul Giamatti, I'm sure, is a wonderful man, even though his dad was a crappy baseball commissioner. Um, no, I think his dad was... Yeah, you're so off on this. Giamatti is amazing in everything no, he does, including the movie actor. I saw on the plane he yesterday. gives me the heebie-jeebies. I didn't say he's a bad actor. I'm sure he's a good guy. Yeah, uh, Akiva, you don't like short, balding, bearded, slightly overweight yeah, men, right? <laughs> correct. I am self-loathing. I think that... I don't know what it is. I just don't. I don't like him. I didn't like Spacey. I didn't like. Uh, I, I hate. I hate Ormiston and 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 Giamatti's on the list. I, again, I think he's a good guy. I don't think he's a creep, but he gives me the the Hebrew Jebrews. So I don't know. Um, I, I I don't know. I don't think I'd ever watch this movie, but I'm also sure it's good. Um, yeah, it's it's extremely good. Um, it stars uh, Paul Giamatti, as you mentioned, and Catherine Hahn. They play this elderly couple. They live in Manhattan and. It's implied that because they, you know, prioritize their career in, in their younger days, they're now, probably, I think they're probably in their 40s and they're not able to conceive. And it was just, to me, a very unique and powerful story because this is just a story that is extremely common uh, in real life that is just, is usually not told. Um, I, I joked when I, we, I was watching this movie with my wife, I joked that my sense from pop culture has, was always, you know, growing up, they basically presented as that anytime any person has unprotected sex, mm-hmm. even one time, yeah. it's automatic that they get pregnant. Yeah, that's only if you're not and, trying to get pregnant, though. Right. But if you're but yes, but it, but obviously we all know and I, I think people are starting to understand more and more over the last, you know, five, ten years as, as all of this sort of stuff becomes more public and spoken about publicly that it's much more common than any of us realize that there are couples that really struggle with this and this really in a very powerful way points a light on that struggle the the opening scene of this movie uh, is you see basically Catherine Hahn sitting on a bed and you see her she's just in her underwear and you see his uh, Paul Giamatti's hand start reaching towards her underwear and you assume it's going to be a sex scene and you what you very quickly realize is that he's giving her an injection in her butt for fertility med- medication which I thought was extremely you know powerful because it basically turned it, it shifts your expectation from what you think is going to be this you know intimate pleasurable act into something that is totally stripped of that it's clinical it lacks the 
It lacks intimacy. And that's kind of a, a stand in for what their entire relationship has become as what 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 was once a you know a loving intimate relationship has become so singularly focused on this one pursuit and that these people who despite seemingly having everything else in life that they could want you know they live in a nice apartment on the west side they're well off they have good careers but the one thing that they want is the only thing that they can have and that's just a really miserable space to be in yeah uh avengers infinity war is 11 a lot of people a lot of people have been pushing us to do a marvel episode uh before the the big marvel movie comes out on robin akiva needs a podcast chester as, a, yeah, as a, those people know you really well yeah but it's an explainer yeah the point is to talk to akiva since he knows nothing yeah, obviously I just, um, but i don't know um i don't know like i don't know do, do you care about things like that chester do you care about the marvel universe no you you know you don't i don't yeah i don't I, i'm anti-superhero right I've seen all of these movies uh, more than once. Um, I'm actually currently rewatching them all with a friend who had never seen them before. Mm. Um, I've been pushing him to do it for a little bit. And he, he likes he, them. He finally, he loves it. He's like totally into it. Loves it. He like he were we set a deadline of I think March eighth because he wants to be able to go see Captain Marvel in theaters when it comes out and just wants to be able to go in being fully caught up on everything. So um, is this someone we know? Uh, this is someone we know. Yeah, I doesn't have any friends oh. that we don't know. Like, yeah, for the most part. Um, it's, just, uh, it's Eric Bienenfeld. I, I, he's now a, a celebrity, now that he's been met. Never heard podcast. of him. Uh, I believe you guys both know him very well. I don't, I've never uh, met well, him in my life, or, actually. <laughs> I just know from Twitter. Right, well, <laughs> fair enough. Well, I think Alex knows him relatively well. Huh. Maybe not. Much m- much better than Akiva does. Anyway, um, so Avengers Infinity War. Um, so for me, the, the, the Marvel movies are, are very, very fun movies. Um, I, was, I was never – I'm not a Marvel fanboy. I never read the comics really. I'm you know, vaguely familiar with the characters, but I've seen all the movies. I really think they do a great job with their movies, just keeping them light, uh, putting in enough like that connects the movies, but not so much that like if you haven't – if you're not you know holding in every last detail of everything that happened that you can't enjoy the movie. You know, Every movie is self-contained enough that you could come in and watch it for a start, but it – it gives you enough other stuff that you benefit if, if you've seen them all. Um, and Avengers Infinity War in particular is is really almost the culmination of 19 movies over 10 years. It just brings it, literally all of the characters that have ever appeared in, in any of these movies other than like only one or two. There's like over 20 main leads in this movie. Um, it in a In a way that I did not think was possible, gives them all room to breathe. They all have like their little story arcs seeing them all interact with people that you've never seen them interact with on screen before and has an incredible villain the jetsons Uh, i love that movie by the way yeah it's great i was so excited when i was a kid yeah um and that movie like might have come out in the 70s and we just like thought it was new or something like it was that could be but I, i remember loving it um so it has it has an incredible villain as i was saying um he's as, as we talked about a little bit last week when we were talking about Vice, that the best villains are the, the villains that are the heroes of their own story, and you actually understand where they're coming from rather than just like having like this inchoate idea of wanting to destroy the world, and you don't really know why. And uh, Thanos, who's the villain in this movie, is really the main character of this movie and just really p- puts the whole movie in a different light than what you're used to. And I, I just felt for me also... As I said, you know, I watch these movies, they're kind of fun, they're silly, they're light, 
you get, I generally watch them. I forget about them. And the way this movie unfolds just made me realize that I care about these characters in a way that I don't think I realized until I saw this movie. And that's just like the best thing a movie can do for you, in my opinion. So I would say if you're if you're even slightly inclined to be interested in these types of movies, you should go for it. Uh, maybe if you if you have a you know a Marvel thing on the Rob podcast, that will get you more interested. If you know if it sounds appealing, I just to had you the dumbest and... idea. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm going to save it for the Rob podcast. I don't get paid to be here. Um, all right, number number ten is uh, number ten is a Star Is Born. Um, I thought when I saw a Star Is Born, Avin Alex, that it was an original movie. I had no idea that it, it had been made three times before. And it's great. How had you not heard all the talk about it before it came out? I mean, though? I did, but it didn't occur to me that it, it, it's just a remake. And it's crazy that, like, Bradley Cooper would say in interviews that he dreamed of the movie. I don't know if you guys saw, but there was, like, a slightly viral, like, uh, Chelsea Peretti did one of those smaller award shows. I think the Writers Guild Awards. She did, like, she was the MC, um, which you will not see at the Oscars. I think there's, there's no stand-up at all. And she did, like, eight really funny minutes, but she said, like, uh, you know, Bradley Cooper said in interviews that he dreamed this movie. And he's like, he must have had dreams in, like, 1935 and 1957 and 1973. Like, that's crazy. He did nothing. I mean, yes, he put, a, like, a great movie, you know, on film. But, like, I didn't realize that it's literally, like, a remake. And I'm sure a lot of the stuff is the exact same. Before before we get into this movie, can I ask, what are your guys' two opinions on Bradley Cooper himself? I'm a big fan of Bradley Cooper. I, I've always, yeah, I've I like always well, I, I liked Silver Linings Playbook. I was actually thinking the other day that it was like one of those good movies that if like Av said, "Hey, I'm gonna watch Silver Linings Playbook tonight," we'd have him like we'd call the police, we'd have him committed or something. Like it was a good movie, but I don't know if like anybody would ever still watch it. Um, All right, because to me, he's like what Spacey and Giamatti is so to, to Akiva. I, I, I find him wow. really irritating. I, I hate, hate him. He just seems. Movie? He seems. Or that was a comedy. So was no, a I'm not saying I hate all of his movies. I just find him so. He seems like the worst. He seems like Miles. Is Miles Teller the name of that other he's actor? Much, he's like 20 years younger. That is the name of an actor. Yes. 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 Okay. The so they're both similar actor? to me in that. No, they're both the same person to me in that they're like complete mega egotistical frat boy douchebags who also simultaneously think of themselves as deep intellects. Yeah, that's for sure. And I mean, like they want to have it both ways, and I would be fun to hang out with. Uh, unless you were like, I just think, uh, like, I, come on, it, like, very. You know what? I bet Giamatti would be cool to hang out with, and I think that Bradley Cooper is an insufferable mm-hmm. douchebag. So I came in biased against him in this movie for sure. Okay. Uh, but listen, but Lady Gaga is the star of the movie, uh, and she is so so good. Um, it's great. You care about the characters, uh, even though you 100 percent know what's going to happen the whole time. I think we're certainly, you know, by halfway point, uh, you, you know exactly what's going to happen. Uh, it's great. And and if you don't like him, he guess what? Spoiler alert, everyone, uh, if you didn't know about this, uh, fast forward 30 seconds, he dies. So, uh, you know. You, you, it, well, I did not know that. I mean, I did not know that until I saw the movie. But um, So, yeah, <laughs> A Star is Born 10, I think it's also in my top 10. It, it was really good. So can I can I be the troll here for a second? I, I didn't hate this movie as much as I thought I did when I first watched it. It, it moved up on my list a little bit. But it, this movie struck me. You know, Bill Simmons did this movie on as like an instant rewatchable on that podcast yeah. that he has. And no one of the questions they always ask in that. Yeah. <laughs> but they always say in that podcast, they always say like, would this movie be better as like a 10-part Netflix oh, okay. TV good, show? And they were like, oh, no, absolutely not. And to me, the answer oh, is absolutely be yes. because this could be five seasons. Yeah, this, this show. my biggest issue with this movie was the fact that the whole story in it, like she goes from instantly from yeah. nobody to hosting right. SNL 
to like winning every single Grammy on being on every billboard. It happens like so fast. She has so that's not unrealistic. Yeah, she has zero bumps in her career. Her career is like like a song out, and she was she was on SNL. So it's not that crazy. Okay, fine. But I'm just saying, like, she has the most successful career in the history of like musical performances. And they just they don't have time. They don't have time to give her a natural development. I agree with what you're saying. I don't even think it's so fixed. No, Akiva, it does not happen in music. Hold on. It does not happen in music that you meet somebody one night. And then she was like the biggest star on earth. The second the... the, the Keeve, Keeve, hold on a second. He, they meet each other one night. The next day, they are performing a song in front of 50,000 people at a concert. So there... Like... Yeah, so, I mean, there's nothing you're saying that's not objectively correct. Um, The movie has a a little bit of a fairy tale feel to it, and that's on purpose. Um... You know, yeah, no, I know that. So, yeah. you know, yes, the, the logistics of, you know, them in a parking lot the night before her teaching him this song that she kind of has in her head and they're them performing this incredible duet the next day on stage. Obviously, that's not what would happen in real life. Um, would 50,000 screaming fans care that he's bringing on stage some new girl that he's banging? You know, no. But again, it's it's a fairy tale, and I, and I think it really works. Um, that the scene that we're talking about, I think, was the best scene that I saw in a movie this year. I was just totally overwhelmed by it. It was incredible. The music in this movie is incredible, um, and it's just it's just a really strong, powerful love story. And then and yes, there are times where it feels a little bit rushed, but I think that's all falls into the same thing. Um, it just has that fairy tale feeling to it, where you just get kind of get swept up in this. This you just meet someone for the first time and you just get totally overwhelmed by them and it just goes from there. And if you know, I, I think that's a reasonable criticism of the movie, but it totally worked for me. This is a movie that when I saw it, I thought this movie is going to sweep every award this there is. He's Bradley Cooper is going to win for actor and director. It's going to win Best Picture. She's going to win. The music's going to win. The score is going to win. It just it just felt like one of those movies that was going to be an all timer at the at the Oscars. Um, that's you know the way the award season has gone so far, and I guess maybe we'll talk a little bit later about specifics. Uh, it doesn't seem like that's going to work out for it, but um, obviously some people it's not resonating for it the same way. But I love this movie. Yeah, I think this will hold up. I think I'm not sure if like you'd be rewatching this in five years, but I I, I think if someone told you they were rewatching it, you wouldn't be like, oh, that's weird. I think. Uh, I mean, I think it is a perfect rewatch movie just because yeah. there are so many scenes in this movie that you know if if it's on, you're at least going to watch till the end I of agree. that scene I agree. and like, then, oh, I and then see hang on for a little big, bit yeah. to see another one. Yeah, it's just mm-hmm. it has that rewatchability to it um, that I think it's going to be an all timer in that regard. Uh, all right, first man. I feel like every year there's like one good movie that goes to space. No more. There's never like three space movies, but there's always like one Oscar bait movie that they go to space. So this is that year's. Yeah, this, this is this, this is the movie. movie this year. I was I was saying this in a chat earlier today that I think this is the movie from this year that seems like that I really loved more than most people I know who saw it, or or even just like in terms of the conversation about movies this year, it's really been left out. Um, I think part of that is because of what people's expectations of a movie about Neil Armstrong and the space race is going to be. And I think people just always want that to be much more of a focus on the actual space and the, and the, and NASA and the, and the Russians and just like these, these big ideas about a nation and the world, et cetera. 
And this movie was much, much more focused on Neil Armstrong as a person. I mean, it's right there in the title, First Man, you know, playing off the, his famous line as they landed on the moon. And this is a movie that is much more about the man than about, than about mankind. Um, it, the movie is shot very largely from a first person perspective. It wants to put you in the, his eye, his mindset. Um, very early on, we learned that he lost a child early on in his marriage, and he becomes very detached from his family, from his friends, and just kind of delves himself into his work uh, to, the co- to the expense of everything else in his life, just becomes singularly focused on that the way some people do. And it does this incredible thing where it somehow turns the idea of going to the moon into a MacGuffin for you know this guy's personal growth, which... I, I wouldn't have thought that you could successfully do that. And I, I thought they really knocked it out of the park. Um, this movie, as I'm sure you both know, set off what I think was one of the, the dumbest controversies that has ever plagued the movie. It's just... It's, yeah, that's because you hate America and you hate our flag. Hate America. So let me say this. If you did mm-hmm. not see this movie because of, of the stupid flag yeah. thing, or you saw it, Then you probably don't like this podcast. You saw, it, so. <laughs> you saw it and you didn't like it because you thought it was... American, <laughs> then we have very different ideas about what you know American quotes means because mm-hmm. this was a just a deeply profound movie about an individual who works hard and wants to do the right thing and just wants to do things his own way and pulls off one of the most amazing accomplishments in the history of humanity. And if you if that if that strikes you as un-American, then I don't know what to tell you. This movie was incredible in my opinion. I thought it was just Ryan Gosling is amazing. Damien Chazelle is amazing. They, I just, I don't, I don't know what you saw if, if you thought there was something wrong with this movie in that regard. It, it digs at the very fundamental questions of who we are, who do we want to be, where are we going, what does the future hold for us, and I found it to be incredibly moving and powerful. Uh-huh. Uh, all right. Uh, can you ever forgive me? Pretty straightforward movie. It's a real story. I really liked it also. Melissa McCarthy is amazing. The truth is, if you're an SNL guy, which I have actually kind of stopped watching SNL the last month, um, after like basically watching every episode for for like decades, it, but if if you know that like Melissa McCarthy, like some hosts have to be babied when they go on. Melissa McCarthy will do like a dozen like seriously involved like physical comedy bits. Like she gives like her life over you know every week she hosts. So she's she's like an all star. Uh, she's so good in this. Um, and uh, what's the guy's name? He's also nominated for an Oscar. He's he's amazing, also. Richard Grant. Yeah, yeah, he's really good. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's just a really good movie. Like it's a it's a very straightforward, like fo- easy to follow story that's well made. This could have been like, yeah. you know, it's like there's not much. There's, I don't know if you have a lot to, a lot of takes about this. It's just good. No, not not that much. Um, two things that stand out to me about this movie: Vince Gilligan, who created Breaking Bad, once said like a long time ago that he believes that any actor who can pull off comedy, by definition, can pull off drama yeah. and emotion. And this movie really is a you know a huge signifier of that. You know, you would, I would never have thought Melissa McCarthy would pull up, would be able to pull off a role like this just based on what you're used to seeing her as. But she's incredible in this movie. Um, it's just raw. It's all out there. Um, the other thing that I thought was very interesting is movies about New York that, or that take place in New York where New yeah. York is this, you know, central character are yes. usually about people that are like in their prime. Mm-hmm. And it's about, it's, it has that, if you could, if, you know, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere spirit to it and just showing, you know, the amazingness of New York of, you know, just to harness people's, you know, ho- hopes and dreams. 
And you usually don't see movies made about people living in New York. Like losers who are in New York. Pride. Yeah. Yeah. Who it's just Even like though it's the showing who- us, it's not showing us a gritty part of New York at all. This is still Upper East Side or Upper West Side fancy people. Absolutely. Uh, but these are people that were like once great. You know, sure. She, she it's plays, a good point. This, this writer who used to be very successful, but kind mm-hmm. of, you know, her best days are behind her. And she's just trying to make ends meet now. And she's just trying to, like, do something original in her in her work that she just can't seem to do. And she starts forging these letters and writing really, you know, original things that people are taken by. And it's just it's really, really good. And she's really amazing in it. He's really amazing in it. It's just a really good movie. Uh, yeah. All right. Number six is Black Klansman. Um, I really liked it. I, I have one major critique. I'll tell you right now, and then you'll tell me. It's also in my top ten. It's pro- Can wait? Hold on. We skipped Spider Man oh, into Spider Verse. Don't talk about that. Which is number sorry, seven. Skip Spider Man into the Spider Verse. Which is seven. that's have- fine. Um, we'll we'll do very quick. Spider Man to the Spider Verse. Probably the movie that I was most surprised by this year. I went into it just because I heard people were saying good things about it. But you know, like an animated Spider Man cartoon. I didn't really I didn't really know what to. Expect. Is it part of the canon of the of the uh, Spider Man uh, movies? Um, Probably not. Hard to say. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, someone who's much more knowledgeable might be able to say better than me. It, it really, what it does though is it, it, it riffs off the Spider-Man story and it, it creates like six or eight different versions of Spider-Man. It, it sounds a little convoluted, but it, it, it works when you're watching the movie. Um, and just really delves into what the experience of being Spider-Man is like. Um, it also, I would say I've seen lots of superhero movies and lots of comic book movies. This is the first movie that like actually felt like a comic book. The animation is done in such a way that it just, it feels like you're reading the pages of a comic book, which is not something that I had seen before. I don't know if it's ever been done this way before. It was really incredible. Um, I, I think this is the best Spider-Man movie ever made. It's certainly the most Spider-Man movie ever made. It's, you know, it's, it's not at all about Peter Parker. It's about Spider-Man and what the experience of being Spider-Man is like in all sorts of different iterations. There's a black Spider-Man. There's a white Spider-Man. There's a female Spider-Man. There's a Puerto Rican Spider-Man. There's Spider-Pig. There's, you know, Spider-Man Noir. It does all sorts of different permutations on the Spider-Man theme. It's just a ton of fun. It has a compelling message. You know, they, they keep repi- repeating this line that anyone can be under the mask, which I think is a very powerful message to young audiences. It's just an absolutely joyous movie. Um, everyone should go see it. You should take your kids to see it. It's a great movie. How old should your kids be to see it? Um, I don't know, seven. But, you know, okay. It's, uh, yeah. So not your kids or my yeah, kids. Not, but uh, but not Akiva. Like really little kids, but it, yeah, yeah, a little bit older than that, I would say. Now, if you don't like superhero movies, but you love John Mulaney, is there enough Spider Pig to justify seeing it just to There's see him? There's a good amount of Spider Pig, but it's, it doesn't carry the movie. Okay. <laughs> All right, now let's get to Black yeah, Clansman. So my issue with Black Clansman that I started saying before is I think Spike Lee makes a terrible decision at the end of the movie because he makes this great movie that, you know, you care so much about the characters and, it, and it's telling a story that is very straightforward. And then... At the end of the movie, he shows you all the all the clips from Charlottesville, and it was like, yeah, we know, we of course, that's exactly what you were saying. Like, don't don't assume that we're idiots. Like, we knew what you were saying. It's fine if that stuff is in the is in the credits, but to me, to like end the movie like that's part of the movie, uh, it doesn't make any sense to me because, yeah, of course we get what you're trying to say. Why are you showing us like just a clip from something that happened in the news last year? We yeah, we get the allegory. You you, you handed it to us for two hours, so. That bothered me a little. But hasn't Spike Lee always done that? Spike Lee is he got more. He tends to be more on the nose than than many filmmakers. And I think it was a big argument. I believe, like, 
he fought with whoever was supposed to make it over this exact thing, which I read after I was mad about it. So clearly the other people were on my side. And listen, he made a great movie. I, I think it's, it's nitpicking, and I, it didn't affect my rankings that much, but... But it, I, it, to me, it was an obvious mistake. It was just like him doing what he wants to By do. By the way, Topher Grace as, as David Duke was amazing, amazing in this he movie. He was great. Everyone was great. It was, yeah. it was just a really good movie. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. totally understand that criticism. Um, it's, I think it's definitely valid. For me, it totally worked. Um, I saw it in the theater. Maybe that was part of it. Just the, the experience of just seeing that footage on the big screen with the big mm-hmm. sound was just yeah. – it, it just blew me away. It sure. was like my – Yeah, I but was just, it has I, nothing I, I to do – like it's not part of the movie. Well, so I would argue it's not part of the movie. I think it's like it's like an epilogue to the movie. All right, so then like, just roll the credits and then show that during the credits. Fair enough. Uh, again, yeah, I don't think we should spend too much time on it because no, it's, it's we're doing an hour on this. Yeah, okay. it's just a matter of of yeah. taste of whether or not mm-hmm. you know you needed that or not. Um, yeah. I don't think you needed it, but I think it was effective and it it, it did the job. Um, the movie in general, again, also I I loved. Um, I thought that the the writing of this movie in particular was outstanding. Just the dialogue, the the Ron Stallworth character and just the way it shows different sides of him, uh, the white version, the black version, and how they're confronting similar things in, in those different realities. Something that I thought that was very well done was that the the white version of Stallworth, which is played by Adam Driver, he's afraid of being exposed as a Jewish person. And the black version of Stallworth, played by John David Washington, he's afraid of being exposed as a cop among the black people that he's hanging out with. They, they both have this existential fear of being found out um adam driver also delivers this extremely powerful monologue in the middle of the movie about how he never thought of himself as jewish until his judaism started to make him you know be vulnerable Mm -hmm. Um, which i think resonates to not to us because we've been like like it's on our heads every day but um but i i think i've seen a lot of people say that online recently people who maybe are are barely like culturally jewish like Oh, yeah. Now that people hate Jews, I feel very, you know what I mean? Like now that. Right. But I I think there's something very powerful in that that goes a lot of ways in the way we think about identity and racial politics and all that sort of stuff that sometimes parts of people's identity that they don't really think of themselves as gets activated for one reason or another when they feel under threat. And I think that it really taps into what I think is an important thing about what's going on with, you know, the far right and people who. They were just regular people until now they, for some for whatever reason, they feel like white people are under are under assault. And that kind of activates the whiteness in them in a way that wasn't present before. Um, and I thought that was a very powerful idea that I hadn't seen expressed on the film before. Um, one one other thing that I thought was very cool that was a very cool scene that I realized, I didn't know the significance of until I read about it other, other uh, after I saw the movie. Um, there's a, a scene. There's a scene in the middle of the movie where it's showing two two rallies or two like get togethers. It shows like a KKK meeting where, where they're watching birth of a nation and they're showing um, a black Panther meeting where uh, an old black guy is telling them about like you know, a story from the civil rights era. And the movie cross cuts back and forth between the two movies, which I later learned the cross cutting device in movies was invented by the movie birth of a nation. And so that was just, I thought, a, re- a very cool way to do that and kind of show that, you know, there are a lot of people who would say these two meetings that are happening are the same thing. They're both, you know, extreme, you know, zealots who are, are who are trying to do harm to everyone and that he's kind of saying, no, you know, they're really not the same because one of them is act- is, is more actively involved in violence and the other one is not. And it was just, I thought, a really well done depiction of that. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get to the top five. Eighth, eighth grade... 
Um, movie I loved. Uh, it, tell me what you think about eighth grade. I'll get to it in my in my rankings. So eighth grade has an element where I, I thought it was really good, and then it worked for me specifically on a on a personal level. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's you, know, you were it's, very unpopular. You're saying in eighth grade. Well, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll expand on that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, it's supposed to be, you know, this comedy slash drama, but it really, in my opinion, is a horror movie. It's just the it delves mm-hmm. into the horror of what it's like to be a shy person who you know that you have good things to say. You know that you're you're a smart person, that you can say funny things, you could say smart things, but that for some reason there are certain situations where you're just not able to summon the power of speech around certain types of other people. And sometimes that's because those people are cooler than you. Sometimes it's because they're less cool than you, but there's just like something about certain people that just makes you make certain people clam up. Um, and I resonated with that a lot because I am, I am like that in a lot of ways at times. Um, Jared Jerome, another friend of the podcast, always, he, he has this thing that he refers to me as the master of the written word. He says that I express myself much better, like, you know, you know, one liners in a WhatsApp group than I do in person. And there's, there's a lot of truth. They used to crush it on aim of, um, maybe I'd like to think so. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but, uh, this girl, Kayla in the movie who's played by Elsie Fisher, she films these YouTube videos that are really good. She has really interesting things to say, you know, wise beyond her years for a teenager. But when she is standing before, you know, a cool kid in her class, she is, she can't, she totally closes up. She can't say anything. And I thought that was a really unique and interesting type of character to capture. Yeah, I, I wonder, uh, and my daughter is an, you know, she's, you know, she's not at the age where this would be too adult for her at this point. She's, she wouldn't be super interested. Um, yeah. And she's in seventh grade, though. Uh, but my, I wonder, my sister, who's in high school, and his name is also Kayla, I just DM'd her. I did not, uh, I don't know if we'll get a response in real time. I'm curious what she thinks about this movie, how much it spoke to her. Uh, yeah, no, it is a harm. Uh, I love how you describe it. I love how you describe it as a horror movie. That scene where she, like, approaches the pool party oh is, like, is you know it it reminds me of approaching the pool party at your house and i saw uri berger and Aton bednarsh and all these sexy bodies in the pool <laughs> yeah i mean that, no that, but from behind she's like totally yeah. vulnerable and exposed and it's just it's amazing yeah now she for sure by the way should should be nominated for an oscar i thought she did an amazing job but can we talk about bull burnham for a second because like he was like, you know, this is such a Bill Simmonsian thing to say, but like if you would have bought stock in him in 2006, like he came on the scene as some like little pipsqueak on YouTube and to see the varied ways in which his career has taken, like have you guys seen his stand-up specials on Netflix? I have some not, them, yeah. yeah. Okay. They are amazing. They are incredible and so unique. There's nobody else who does anything remotely like him. First of all, the fact that he went from like this little pipsqueak on YouTube to this, this comedy, like the stand-up giant, I don't mean like... I don't mean a giant in stand-up. I mean literally a giant because he's like six foot six. Um, but he's like he's his stand-up specials on Netflix. I forget if there's two or one. It's really, really, really good, really smart, really unique. So I would really endorse that. And then he makes this document or he makes this movie. He directs this movie. I am blown away. Like he's like our age or even younger than us. He's like twenty eight years old. Oh, he's already done like our so age many amazing or even things. Younger. Oh, it's a such jillion a, years younger. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but he's done amazing things in so many varied ways. Like, I can't even imagine what he's going to be doing for the next, like, several yeah, maybe decades. maybe he'll burn out. He'll be, so he'll be I'm like, like McCarthy in, uh... I don't know. I'm, like, incredibly, so incredibly buy, impressed Well, you want to buy stock now, or are, you, or are you selling it because well, it can't, no, I want, it can't. Well, I want to buy it, it's but like a, it's, it's a hold it's, right it's, now. You know, it's like a cryptocurrency. I should have bought it, you know, 10 years ago. Not at all. 
Yeah. By the way, Av, I disagree with one thing you said, though. You said how, like, her, um, Kaylee's, or, sorry, is her name Kayla. Kaylee, the character? Kayla. Oh, Kayla, like your sister. Yeah, you said that. Kayla's little videos, you thought they were so profound. I thought, the other way around, I thought her videos are supposed to be so obviously cliche-ridden well, like nobody, and, it's clear, and fake. It's not said, I don't think, but it's clear that nobody's watching them, probably, right? Because she has no friends. Like, Well, no, no, of course nobody's watching them, but I thought it's also like, it, I mean, it's what what is profound is how different what she says on the videos are to how she acts in right. real life but it seems like the videos are she's saying what she thinks one is supposed to say or do which she's unable to do in real life of course because she lacks the confidence yeah. um, so I, I i wouldn't say that necessarily that like they were so profound for me but i i think they are very insightful for you know a 14 or 15 not, not even that old a 13 12 year old girl i don't think most girls that age or most boys that age are just that reflective and thinking about things like that uh, but she's not reflective she's not saying who she really is she's just saying what she thinks people she's just presenting sort of i thought the point is it's representative of social media how everybody presents the best version of themselves which isn't at all the real version of themselves uh, I, you know, I think there's definitely she's portraying herself as confident and cool sure i agree with that um i i, I don't think that necessarily the, the videos are yeah, we're not necessarily disagreeing. Yeah, I don't I think we. I don't really don't think we are. Um, and I mean, to add to that, I mean, I think one of the things that we're supposed to feel or maybe understand a little bit is that these videos, in a way, are her filling a vacuum that is left by the lack of a mother figure in her life and just not having that older female influence who is the person that is supposed to teach you these things uh, about self confidence and that sort of stuff. And her dad is just—he's doing the best he can. He's a great dad. Um, I yeah. thought that. It, He's like an unsung hero in this He's movie. He's incredible, and it really is a stand-in for you know one of the things that I've found, in a, and it's you know it's cliche to say this at this point, but you just, you don't when you're a kid, you think your parents know everything and that they understand everything and they could fix everything, and when you grow up to be a parent yourself, you're like, oh, they were just pretending the whole time. They they are grown-ups are just children pretending to be grown-ups. They don't know. They're doing their best, hopefully. And that's all he's doing. He's doing his best. But he doesn't know how to be a mother because he, he's, he, doesn't, he can't do that for her. Um, and it just leaves this vacuum in her life that he's trying as, as hard as he can to fill. And it's just it's a really beautiful movie. Uh, the one other thing. Av, don't sell your parents short. Your mom always had very profound uh, uh, comments, I thought. Right. The, the, <laughs> um, the one thing I would say is like this also could have been a very straightforward movie about bullying. Um, and I'm sure a lot of directors would have taken this story, which he also wrote in the in that direction. There's really no out- outright bullying in the movie. I mean, I guess there's like harassment, but there's right. The popular girls are not mean to her at all. They never respond to her. Like when she they speaks, if you, they literally. Yeah. If you notice in the movie, they literally never respond to her. They're not yeah, mean to her. And the movie does a very, what I thought was a very smart thing, and where it kind of flips the script, and it puts her on the other side of that. When that nerdy guy wants to talk to her at the yeah. pool, and she basically does the same thing to him, and it's right. and it's trying to show that, like, you know, not it's it's not necessarily that these are bad kids; they're just kids, yeah. and they don't. Everyone know has how their to... own sort of Chester, who's like the nerd of the group. Yeah, and everyone has their own sort of anxieties, <laughs> and just not knowing how to deal with situations, and not knowing how to deal with other people, and they're mm-hmm. just figuring it out. And I, I thought that was really clever that they showed her on both sides of that equation. All right, Av's uh, Matt Rushmore for the year. Number four, Black Panther. I didn't see it. Of course not. I'm sure Chester did not either. No. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I will. I intend to. I've just I've been trying to get my Black wife to Panther watch with me, and Marvel she has no DC interest. Or neither. Marvel. Okay, fine. I'll see it okay, eventually. So I won't spend that much time on it since neither of you saw it. Um, 
<laughs> to me, to me, if you could put the Dark Knight in in a box as well, this is right up there. Um, to me, this is along with the Dark Knight the best superhero movie ever made. Um, it's it's not just good as a superhero movie. I thought it was an astonishing movie. It has so many ideas packed in this movie, more than you would ever expect from a movie of this type. Um, it's it starts out in Oakland. It's grounded in reality. We see the real lives of real people living on the streets of Oakland. It creates the country of Wakanda in Africa. It is rich. It is imaginative. It has a culture. It has social practices. It has an economy. Um, and if superhero movies are about wish fulfillment and the ability of a young person to see, you know, the best version of themselves, I think this was the best example that you could ever see. Thus, the the power that this must have for for young black people to see a version of themselves, you know, totally untethered from the racial prejudice that has plagued our planet for you know, thousands of years and just see a black civilization thriving and becoming the most technologically advanced civilization in human history, you know, just left to its own devices, you know, obviously it's, it's, you know, it's wish fulfillment, but it's just, to me, that was extremely powerful. Um, the, the villain in this movie played by Michael B. Jordan um, plays a character called Killmonger, which again, amazing, incredible villain not it's because the best villains are the ones where you understand where they're coming from and you totally understand where where he's coming from he wants to basically use wakanda's technology to liberate the black people of the earth and you know undo all the harm that has been done for millennia against them um he also has this this idea of displacement which i thought re really resonated with me i think you know it's a very common jewish theme just this 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 guy who has been taken from his homeland and just trying to get back there and you know and just go home um there this movie has just so much to say about all the things that we're talking about in the political discussion these days about globalization and isolationism and how power is transmitted from one leader to the next and borders and technology and natural resources there's just so much in there um i'm amazed at at how good this movie is um this is the movie that, if it was up to me, this would be, even though I, I don't know if I would say it's the best movie this year, I, I hope that this movie wins Best Picture. I don't think it will. Um, this is just, to me, the most 2018 movie of 2018, just totally grabbed everything that is happening in our culture right now, in our politics, in our society, and just put it on screen in an incredible way. All right, number three. What do you have at number three? The Favorite, a movie I had zero interest in seeing. Less than zero interest. Well, you're anti-anything British, and you've like been proud of that forever, which is annoying. All right, well, you should see The Favorite, because it's uh, it's really exceptional. Um, it was I don't hate it. It made that Yorgos guy. Every movie makes flat-out stinks. Okay, so he's he's incredible. Uh, Yorgos Lanthimos is an is an incredible filmmaker. He he directed uh, Dogtooth. He directed Lobster. I love both of those. I love this. Um, I didn't like last year's The Killing of the Sacred Deer that much. But... That was though. That was one of the only ones I've seen the whole thing of. We discussed it, I think, briefly last year. But yeah, uh, that, yeah that was that, too that weird. That one I didn't really like. Um, the the dialogue and the screenwriting in this movie is is off the charts. The acting from the three female leads, uh, Rachel Weisz, Emma Stone, and Olivia Pullman, uh, combination of just drama, emotion, humor. Um, it was the best written movie this year. Um, he he shoots the movie in this using these weird weird angles and these this uh, fisheye lens and this haunting score. Uh, it's just totally irreverent. Um, 
you know, the, this, this battle for, for power of to, to control the throne in England. Um, I don't have that much more specific to say about it other than, you know, it was, I just thought it was an absolute riot. I thought it had a, a lot of interesting things that it covered, and I loved it. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, yeah, I want to see this. I need to see uh, this. Number two is Roma, a movie I did see. It's not in my top ten. That doesn't mean I hate it. I just think it's getting a little overrated. Like, if you had just stumbled upon this on Netflix... You'd be like, all right, yeah, that was really good. I, that was way better than I thought it would be. But, like, the only thing I know about this movie is my sister was watching it at my house with my six-year-old son, and my six-year-old son told me a man exercises with no clothes yeah. on. Yeah, that happened. That is true. Um, he gave it two thumbs up, by the way. <laughs> uh, my, uh, so it's the favorite to win Best Picture, and to me it's like, Will anybody think about this movie in two or three years? I don't think so. Other than like how, other than the industry idea that it's a Netflix movie and it's in black and white and it's a Mexican movie, like that, those parts will will be interesting to like people who work in Hollywood. But as far as a movie goes, are you ever going to rewatch this movie? I'm not. Um, so I don't. I don't know. I've I've seen this movie twice. I saw it once in theaters. I saw it once on Netflix. Um, seeing it in theaters was a was definitely a better experience. Um, both for the, the the visuals, but also for the sounds. Uh, there are scenes in this movie where you you hear people talking, and you and I at least, and I saw several other people in the theater do this. You they would just like turn around because they thought somebody behind them was talking, and then you realize that it's coming from the movie. It just has this totally immersive sound experience that I thought was just really unique. Um, it's it's a it's a slow movie, especially the first hour is very slow. It's just very fly on the wall. You get to see this woman who is a, a housekeeper in Mexico in the 1970s. The movie is shot in black and white, so that's going to be, you know, a, a hurdle for some people. It's it's uh, it's in Spanish, which is going to be a hurdle for some people. Um, but I thought it was mesmerizing. It the 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 black and white film in this movie is sharper than any i've ever seen and it just it gives it this hypnotic feel to it like you're watching a dream yeah it definitely looks uh, beautiful yeah i mean the, the, it's like right from the first scene the first scene is like almost it's like two or three minutes long and it's just a shot of her from like above washing the floor outside their house and you know some people are going to watch that and just say what the hell is this i'm not wasting any time on that and but i was just you know totally pulled in by the beauty of that scene um there, the, the the character at the center of the movie is a, a housekeeper named Cleo, and the main thing that I think this movie does so well that that I thought made it really outstanding was that it takes these characters who are are people in real life who are, we normally don't focus on, who are really off to the side in life, and shows us the fullness and beauty of their lives. So we have Cleo at the middle of the movie as the housekeeper for this family, and then. Outside of her, there's drama going on in this family where with a husband who's pretty much checked out. He's, you know, he's, you know, traveling for vacation supposedly half the time. But we, we learn he's really, you know, out with other women. And then beyond that, there's social unrest in the street due to, you know, political protests and, and terrorism that's going on. And it just it you follow each of those multi-layered stories throughout the movie. But at the center, you have this housekeeper who is the perfect example of that is just is this someone who is this dual hybrid role of being at the same time, both this intricate, you know, indispensable part of a family, but at the same time, not part of the family. Um, There's a scene in the movie where 
they're just they're all sitting to watch TV and like you see you feel like she's finally getting a break and she goes and like sits down next to one of the boys and like puts her arm around her and like within seconds the mom tells her oh can you go get something to drink for one of the kids and she's just like immediately taken out of the family. Um, there's a scene in the middle of the movie where she needs to be taken to the hospital for whatever reason. We won't get into too many spoilers and. The, they get to the hospital and she's there with with the, the person who's, whose house she works in and she loves her and she cares about her and she rushes to the hospital. But when they ask her what's her birthday and what's her middle name, she's like, I have no idea because at the end of the day, this person is not part of your family. And it's, it's just this really interesting dynamic that we just don't see explored that much and I thought was was really, really well done. Ah, okay. Um, yeah, I didn't hate it. I really liked it. It just wasn't – I don't think it's in my – it's not in my top ten. All right, and number one, I said I'd watch it. I lied. I didn't get to it. Chester, have you seen A Quiet Place yet? The movies I really wanted to see this year, I mentioned Fathers and Sons. Actually, a very kind listener sent me, who's a movie critic, uh, sent me a link he had. I won't add him because they're probably not able to do that. Uh, but the link, uh, it, it wasn't working for me. Somebody else had it open, et cetera, something. So I, I didn't get to watch it, but that was nice. Um, Av, you should become like a movie. You should say like you're the movie critic of the show and get movies sent to you. Get like a press uh, yeah, I wish one of one of my goals is to find a way to get uh get screeners. Yeah, I need to get those. Um, uh, yeah, so, so it was that, and I really wanted to see everybody knows, which I think is Penelope Cruz. I don't think you saw that. That was on my yeah. list. The hate, the hate you give. I didn't get to finish. Uh, and then uh, Monrovia, Indiana. I wanted to see yeah. also. So it's it's interesting because I'm not the biggest horror movie fan. Um, uh, in general, you know, I like some, there's some that I really love. I don't really like being scared. Like, you know, sometimes even if I'm watching a horror movie, the parts where like the person is being chased, I'll like kind of space out or look away during that movie. I'll look at my phone because that's not the part that I like. Uh, but now this is now two years in a row for me that my number one movie of the year was a horror movie. So I don't really know what to make of that. Uh, last year being get out this year being a quiet place, which was the most, incredible movie experience I had this year, just in terms of an experience in the theater. Um, for, you know, for those who, who aren't that familiar with what it is, it's basically this, this world where there are these beings or aliens that have come to earth, uh, who have supersonic hearing. If you make even the slightest sound, they'll hunt you down and kill you. And to see this in a movie theater where, you're, you're there with other people and basically anytime somebody coughed or made any noise or ate popcorn, half the theater like turned around to like give them a dirty look and shush them because, dude, you're about to get us all killed. It, it really pulls you into the movie in this incredible way. Um, it is a movie that for, for whatever reason really tapped into a lot of things that I was thinking about already this year in terms of evolution and adaptation and how we, you know, evolve and adapt to our environments. Um, and that's, you know, literally what this movie is about. These, these animals come from some other planet where they're blind and they have super hearing and then they come into earth. And how is that going to work out for them? How is that going to work out for us? Um, it, it, it raises this, what I thought was an interesting idea about lacking a sense that, you know, if you can't see, you're also, immune to that sense so it can't hurt you which i thought was interesting and something that i hadn't thought about before and was just to me a truly profound movie about parenthood and the competing goals we have as parents of trying to protect our children from the dangers in the world but at the same time teaching them how to live in the world um that this movie i thought just did an incredible job with um i think about this movie almost every day 
Um, every time I go out to take the garbage late at night, I try to do it as quietly as I can so that I don't. Oh get wow! I'm, I'm definitely going to see this movie. Now. <laughs> it's it was it's just it's remarkable. I I did not know that John Krasinski had anything like this in him. Um, it's I, I was blown away by it. Um, all right, so those were Ob's movies of the year. Quickly, Chester, give me your top ten. I'll give you my top ten. We'll talk about the Oscars for a minute as my broken foot is screaming. Sure. Uh, number ten to me is uh, mid nineties. Number nine is Tully, which I had way outside my top ten and moved up in the last couple of weeks because I keep thinking about it. Number eight is Love Simon. Number seven is Operation uh, Finale, or is it Operation Finale? I'm not sure. Uh, number, which is the one about uh, ca- capturing Eichmann. Number six is Beirut. Number five is The Hate You Give, which we skipped last week. Um, if we could talk about that one briefly, I thought the acting is great in this movie. My, my only issue is Star, the main character. She's just like a bit too perfect. I'm not a bit. She is perfect, which is a little bit a little annoying. Like one of the interesting things of the sort of the current era in politics and social activism is the fact that there's no such thing as a perfect victim, a perfect hero. You know, like every like nobody's black and white. And the fact that they make her so perfect, I understand it's like a young adult movie, but th- that was a little bit annoying to me. Um, she has like no flaws, basically. Um Number four is Eighth Grade, which we talked about. Uh, I'm really impressed by it. Number three is Black Klansman, which we talked about. Number two, a movie that I think neither one of you saw. I just saw it on an airplane yesterday. The Catcher Was a Spy. Now, I've dismissed it because it has like 49% or something like that on Metacritic and like even worse on Rotten Tomatoes. But like this movie could not have been more up my alley. It's about Mo Berg, who if you don't know about him, even if you're not going to watch this movie, at least Google Mo Berg and read his Wikipedia page. He was was a, a catcher in Major League Baseball forever for like almost two decades. He was never great, but he played forever and like made all star teams and was like friends with all the stars just because of how long he played. He was also this brilliant guy. He went to Princeton. Uh, he spoke like many, many, many languages. And he was this Jewish guy who got recruited to the OSS, which was the predecessor to the CIA. And this movie is about how the OSS recruits him to go assassinate Heisenberg, uh, the famous physicist who was suspected of being the one to uh, lead the Nazi effort to get a nuclear bomb during World War II. So uh, the cast of this movie is incredible. You know, um, again, Av doesn't like it because it has uh, or, or wasn't inspired to watch it because uh, the critics don't like it. But at least read read the story so you know about him and look at the cast of this movie. And then maybe those things will convince you to give it a chance. Right. And then number one is disobedience, which I think we touched on last week. Also, we actually, we actually, with, we actually um, didn't talk about it, so let's go yeah. ahead because I really, I really like oh. disobedience. Okay, so disobedience is uh, is about uh, the the Orthodox Jewish community in London. So it's about Jews and it's about London. So Kiev is already out. <laughs> But um, it's um, first of all, it's it's it, Rachel McAdams who you know we keep saying I didn't know this comedian and that comedian had it in them. I did not know that Rachel McAdams had this in her, so I was very impressed by that. Uh, and then obviously uh, Rachel Wise is in it. We know that she has this in her because she makes a movie like every other year about like the Jewish community in Britain. Basically, um, she made the, uh, just a couple years ago. She made the movie where she plays. Um, uh, it's escaping me. The the historian from Emory who um, what's that movie Denial. called? Denial. It was about. Uh- yeah, denial. Yes, thank Deborah, you. Deborah lips that. Yeah. So basically, Rachel Wise is like the daughter of this uh, rabbi from London, and she she moved away and went to America for for reasons that become apparent during the movie. But she comes back because her father has passed away, and there she sort of finds two of her friends from when she was a child. One of whom is Rachel McAdams. The other of whom is. Um, 
uh, an actor or a British guy who I wasn't familiar with. Anyway, I'm not going to say anything more about it, but uh, Av, what do you want to tell us about I this movie? I just thought it was really good. It was really well done. Um, it is a little slow, um, and I, I, I think it really has a lot to say about religion, especially organized religion in a you know a community sense where the extent to which at what to at what point does practicing a religion stop being about faith and just starts being about obedience to social pressure yeah which is for sure part of in our community and and probably other communities for as sure. well yeah, so i, mean, I, I don't think that's there, particularly there unique two, there are yeah. two characters in this movie who i would say have very probably very similar theological beliefs in terms of you know is god real is should, is religion authentic uh, but they arrive at very different practical places in terms of how they're going to whether they're going to remain in the community and continue practicing or not and that has just much more to do with personality and thinking about things than you know fundamental religious belief and i think that's a lot about what this movie talks about yeah and i also also thought and this obviously would not appeal to everybody as, as much as those who grew up like we did but i thought it was a much more sophisticated and much more accurate representation of like orthodox judaism than just about any other mainstream depiction of it yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was so, really well yeah. done. Yeah, so that's my so that's my number one movie right. of the year. All Kiva, right, my top ten: uh, Beautiful Boy Ten, which I didn't really like. Uh, a Simple Favor Nine, <laughs> Tully Eight. Uh, we've talked about that. Support the Girl Seven. Can you ever forgive me? Six Black Klansman. Five Stars Born. Four Searching, which we briefly mentioned last week, but I really love this. Three Three Identical Strangers is two, and Eighth Grade is my number one movie of the year. Very cool. So there's two movies, I think, Black Klansman and Eighth Grade, that we all have in our top five you or top ten. You didn't have a Star is Born, basically. Chester? No. Okay. I told you. I just I, – I, I didn't okay, – I thought the story the was – it needed more time to develop. Yeah. But look – but I'll say this. The difference to me between like A Star is Born and Bohemian Rhapsody is like – as I said, the reason that you shouldn't waste your time with Bohemian Rhapsody is because if you love the music, you can go watch Queen's uh, like music videos and live concerts mm-hmm. on YouTube. A Star is Born, if you love this music, it's because of this movie that you love this music. Right. So. Now we'll all think shallow as we say goodbye. All right, uh, quickly, Av, you wanted to talk about the Oscars for a minute, right? Um, We could just very quickly, you know, who wants to. Okay, so I'm going to give you the odds. You tell me what should win. Uh, You you shouldn't have a take on what will win because I'm sure the the Vegas people know better than you. Um, Probably, yes. uh, So the only two movies have zero chance to win Best Picture. That's Vice and Bohemian Rhapsody. The other six... Rome is the favorite of four to one. Green Book's and that's good because they're both garbage yeah, movies yeah, that shouldn't, yeah, they be, shouldn't nominated. be nominated. Uh, Green Book is is second. Black Klansman and the favorite are next, and then Black Panther and A Star Is Born are long shots. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think Roma is going to win in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, but... four to one are not amazing odds. Yeah, no, it's 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 more wide open than usual. Um, mm-hmm. I think this. Yeah, but don't give us predictions. Tell us who you would yeah, vote for would if you had a vote. I would vote for Roma. Uh, and which one would... will hold up the best? What do you what do you think would hold up as like this year in movies? Roma? Um I think Black Panther. I think that's the movie that when we yeah, look back that's is fair. gonna be the is gonna be the movie that will be most representative of two thousand eighteen. Yeah, and, what uh, movies are special? Like Black uh, you know, uh the favorite, even if you love it, is that a special movie? Like that would uh, stand the test of time? I don't think so. All right, best director, the favorite is Alfonso Cuaron for Roma, the other person who's really in it is Spike Lee. There's no crazy long shot. Yorgos from the fa- from the favorite, Adam McKay from Vice and Pavel Pawliski from Cold War, which was was that on your list, even Cold War? Yeah, uh, I saw. I think I had that in my uh, in my twenties or Alakowski. maybe in the thirties. Uh, it's 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 a very good movie. It's short. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's going to be on Amazon Prime pretty soon, so people should check it out. Um, this is going to be Quaron. He's he should win. He will win. This is you know of, of the big awards. This is this is a lock. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, best actress. I thought the favorite would be Lady Gaga. It's not uh, three point one. Uh, you know, thirty one to ten is Glenn Close. Uh, Olivia Coleman from the favorites also ahead of Lady Lady Gaga. Yelitsa Aparicio, the the lady from Roma, is back there with Melissa McCarthy. I feel like they should all. They're all. I didn't see the wife with Glenn Close. Yeah, but no one. I'm sure the they're wife. all worthy. This, nobody saw the wife. I I mean I saw the wife, but it's, this movie was not widely available this year um glenn close is gonna win this it's she's a, won best actress before probably i don't right? believe i know she has not this is this is essentially a lifetime achievement award oh, okay fine. there is nothing yeah, about the wife or her performance in the wife that that stands out not that she's not good she's very good she gives a good performance to me she is clearly fifth out of five in this category uh mm. i would be i'd be very happy for any of the other four people to win but they won't glenn close is going to win so she's never I, won an oscar even best supporting actress yeah, I, you're right. I believe so um wow I'm, she's oh for six that's crazy yeah i'm fine with glenn close you know winning an oscar i think she's a great actress this is not the performance that she should be recognized for mm-hmm. yeah but it sounds like you're right it sounds like of of did you ever watch peep show the british comedy show from like last no. decade so, yeah, so Akiva obviously didn't because it's British, but I had a pretty high up when we did our TV rankings. It's a really, really funny uh, British sitcom from, like, you know, like the, the mid-2000s. And Olivia Coleman plays sort of like a very sort of nebuchy, lower middle class woman in that show. And so it's just so funny to me that now she's breaking out for playing, like, the queen or the or Princess Anne or whatever yeah, she plays and, in The Favourite. It's, so. it's a really unique role. Um, she's, you know, she plays this combination of, like, just, like, funny and super emotional who does she, does she play she Anne? The queen. Um, it's this. Oh, she does play the queen. Really nuanced oh. performance where you know this this woman who has all the power in the world, who is like just like deeply wants to just like please her own id with you know food and power and pleasure, um, but at the same time is deeply insecure and is suspicious of everyone around her and feels a need to control them. It's it's a really good performance. Um, she, Sounds like a podcast co-host yeah. I know. Uh, Olivia, Olivia <laughs> Coleman is not a, a widely known actress, but she's really great. You know, she was in. Uh, yeah, well, in in this country, in yeah, England, she, I think she's she super phenomenal famous. Phenomenal in Broadchurch. She was phenomenal in the. Lobster. Isn't it embarrassing yeah. if Lady? Oh yeah, she was in Broadchurch. Lady Gaga uh, wins, and this is like her first major starring movie role. Like, I feel like it just shows that acting is easy, and it's bad for Hollywood. So um, I, I I don't agree with that. Why doesn't it just show that Lady Gaga is very oh, yeah, talented? I think both. Obviously, Lady Gaga is talented. Do you, do you, but it's like, oh, do you guys know that yeah. Lady Gaga was in The Sopranos? Uh, no. I mean, I she, think that, I'm, it sounds familiar. Is she she plays. She's like in one scene. She plays uh, like one of the teenagers where they where uh, AJ and his friends like get in trouble, like trying to sneak into a pool. Mm-hmm. And she's like one of the friends. That's. Is there that's, any that's, scene in TV history that holds up less? Than, uh, than when Tony Soprano, James Gandolfini, meets um, Eric Mangini in the restaurant, and he's like, "Wow, it's the man genius." <laughs> and like, I mean, yeah. like nowadays, like a mob boss wouldn't even like let Tony Eric Mangini like be their waiter, which he might in be, his yeah. restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, last couple. All right, and, last uh, couple uh, are we discussing any yeah, other categories? Actor, Supporting actor, actor uh, Rami, oh. Rami Malek's the favorite. Christian Bale, Bradley Cooper, Viggo Mortensen, Willem Dafoe. Yeah, uh, it sounds like Rami Malek is going to win. Um, Ugh, I, I, I don't me. get it. I mean, I think I think he was good. I think he's a good actor. For to me, and you know, I, I've people have pushed back on this. To me, if you are playing a doing a, a musician in a musical biopic and you don't sing, yeah. you don't get to win Best Actor. I agree. It I agree. Mean, it doesn't mean you didn't do a good job of, of everything else. Also, we all know Sasha Baron Cohen would have been yeah. so much how better, he, and the movie would have been so much win? better. Uh, and like, how could he win and Lady Gaga not win when she did the singing and he didn't? It's absurd. 
Uh, yeah, quickly, and, and, and Bradley yeah. Cooper did the singing. Yes. Uh, and right. Uh, uh, best Supporting Actress, Regina King's the favorite. Yeah, but, but to be fair, Bradley Cooper wasn't going to be compared negatively. Yes, of right, course. The, the gr- to Freddie Mercury. The degree of difficulty on playing Freddie Mercury is very high. But you didn't do you didn't yes. do an A A plus job if you don't do the singing, and maybe that's unfair to punish him for that. But you know you have to judge. People. Yeah, I, I I don't I don't agree. Like we have the ability to hear Freddie Mercury's voice, so why do we want to hear someone worse's voice? I just yeah. don't see the value. Uh, in that. Supporting actress Regina King's favorite. She's from Beale Street. Maybe it should win for sound mixing o- over for uh, whatever, for Rachel Vice, Amy Adams, Marina de Tavira from Roma, and Emma Stone. Um, there's really very few stars of the people we're, we're reading. Uh, even if you include uh, the sporting actor, there's no like A-list super celebrity other than Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. I guess Amy Adams and Emma Stone are are like stars, but most of these people are are like sort of journeymen. Like uh, they're like stars in that they're like actors, like big time actors. But there's no like you know page six like moving moving the needle people here. And then yeah, supporting th- actor is Mahershala Ali over Richard Grant, who we discussed. The same alien from Stars Born, Adam Driver. And Sam Rockwell. Yeah, Marshall Lee is going to win. Um, it's kind of, we, I was talking about this earlier. It's kind of crazy that he went from being nobody two years ago to he's going to be a two-time Oscar winner by this time on Monday. Uh, it's pretty pretty incredible. Um, the, the the supporting actor role, nobody really jumps out to me other than Richard Grant, who I thought was really great. Um, supporting actress is a, is a very strong category. I, my preference would be one of the two women from The Favorite, but I think Regina King is probably going to take it. Um. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. She's she's a really big favorite. All right. That was uh, that was fun. Av, it's always great to have you on. Uh, uh, when do you usually come on next to talk about the uh, the Jets? The Jets, the Mets, you know, all sorts of other uh, horrible franchises that we have going on. Uh, are you are you optimistic about the about the Mets this season? I don't know. Um, the division I, is really tough. I, it's funny because I'm optimistic about the team, but man, that division is brutal. Yeah, I mean they they have a team on paper that could work out well. Um, I I think it com- ultimately it comes down to the the pitcher staying healthy. I think if between yep. Syndergaard, Degrom, and Wheeler, they if they get you know ninety to one hundred starts from those three guys, the team mm-hmm. will be a good team. If if, it, if the number comes in much lower than that, then there's going to be a lot of problems. They just don't have any pitching depth. Of it past, you know, their top three or maybe four. You know, their fifth guy is going to be Vargas, who sucks, and they have nobody behind that who is, mm-hmm. you know, a major league starter. Yeah, the fifth star is an issue, and obviously Cespedes is who might not play this year, realistically. Uh, Listen, can we, can we discuss the Mets like six weeks yeah, from all right, now? Fine. All right, everyone, thanks for, uh, if you're still listening, thank you so much, and uh, we got to figure out something to do next week, Justin. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, Keith. Talk to you next week. Thank you, Av. Bye-bye.
You can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.